What a word of truth in that song. He's always been faithful to me and uh, well sung, so beautiful. So thank you for the, the words and the music of all our musicians this morning and the songs. Indeed, they've pointed us to the Lord. Well, I'm glad you're here with us today, only a handful within my physical sight, but for many of you here this morning joining us online, we're glad you're here. And of course, I'm stepping in today in the absence of Pastor Paul, and uh, we certainly will continue to pray for him. And so, um, in the process of looking uh, into the month of July and the couple of times I have the opportunity to be here, I want to focus our attention to some of the things that are relevant to this Independence Day weekend. And I trust you can see on your screen beside me here is an American flag, right? And uh, we want to take a moment as part of our day and say the Pledge of Allegiance. You may be at home, maybe there's a flag in your room there you can pledge to. If not, I direct your eyes to the one on the screen, invite you to stand and join me, and we'll say once again the Pledge of Allegiance so appropriate for this, our Independence Day weekend. So let's all stand. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Indeed, those are sacred words to the American identity, our pledge to the flag. You can see on the screen there, maybe it's got your attention already, America's Declaration of Dependence. This, of course, is Independence Weekend, where we celebrate 244 years of an American nation, birthed through that initial document, the Declaration of Independence, and as a result, now we stand, many generations later, with a national history to tell, a national story that reflects to the founding and to the origin of our nation. And its birth is celebrated this weekend. It has already, in many places, of course, through the weekend, been recognized and celebrated. Our president has spoken. Fireworks have been lit in many places, though not quite as common as they would have normally been. But it is indeed an important reminder for us about America. And so this time, and at least one other coming up, I want to speak a little bit on America's Declaration of Dependence. I stand before you today as a father of a soldier, a soldier who is boots on the ground today in the Middle East, defending America and her interests there. And while he's defending America on foreign soil, I find it necessary to defend America here at this pulpit. Not boots on the ground, more like dress shoes on the ground, but at least you get the point. There is a place to stand and remember, and certainly Independence Day provides a great opportunity for us to do so, and to remember the greatness of this land, not a perfect country, not led by perfect men and women, but a country with a wonderful intent, an intent that was laid out by those early founding fathers. And today I want to come with some of that reminder and some of that history in light of events that are happening around our country today. This is in, in Independence Day weekend where we celebrate, as I said, 244 years. Not only am I the father of a soldier, I am also the son of a soldier. My father was a World War II veteran. And so to grow up in my house was to hear some of those stories and some of those events. My mother helped construct airplanes in the electrical element of a, 
uh, factory in the northern part of our country during that time. She, too, had her side of the story to tell. And so to hear the stories of, of that generation, called rightly, I think, the greatest generation, those who sacrificed and knew what it meant to stand and defend freedom and liberty, to go to war not only on behalf of the country they love, but also on behalf of others and freedom everywhere, is indeed is, a, is an important reminder of the attitude of which we see America in today. And I think it gives to us a reminder and importance of the understanding of America's past, but also of America's potential. And to do that today, I want to turn to a passage in what may sound like an odd place for Independence Day, the book of Deuteronomy. I'll, if you'll turn there with me, if you have your Bibles handy, they're not going to put it on the screen. I asked primarily because I wanted to give you the opportunity to hear these words rather than focusing on just reading them. The book of Deuteronomy is the book that describes Israel in preparation of going into their promised land and to their national identity. It is a book that has words of great wisdom for a people, for families, but also for a nation. And these are the words of Moses as he's inspired by the Lord to remind Israel once again of the path God had brought them through. We know something of that story ourselves, how they were captive in the land of Egypt. God sent a deliverer, of course, Moses, to lead them not only out of Egypt, but through a long trail of challenges, turmoil, decisions, and opportunities. And now they've come to the place where they stand just across from the promised land. Moses, in his experience of life and all that God had taught him, stands before the people a voice again of wisdom and a voice of God to speak the truth of what the Lord had promised to them. And I think it's an appropriate passage for us to read in light of Independence Day. Now, Israel is the covenant nation of God, and we recognize and understand that distinction. America has no such covenant with God. And yet, when I read the promises that are given here in Deuteronomy 28, I cannot but glean principles that will be valuable for any nation. For a nation who seeks God's blessings, we are foolish if we ignore these principles. And in seeking God's blessings on our nation, whether we say it in a pledge or sing it in a song, we're recognizing and realizing that the hand of the blessing must come from God himself. Listen to these promises and to these words that are given to the nation of Israel. And let's glean from them some of the principles that can be of value to us to understand. Now, my intent today is not to go through this verse by verse or even section by section. I just want us to hear again these promises that God had given Israel. And let's glean from them the reality, the principles that we can find. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. And it shall come to pass, if thou, speaking to Israel... If thou, Israel, shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. 
and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. The idea there is you'll be flooded with blessings. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, blessed shall be thy city, and blessed shall be thy fields. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy herds, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be the basket and the store, or the storehouse, we might say today. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Even in your coming and going, you'll know the Lord's blessings. It continues in verse 7, The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face, and they shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord will defend a nation who follows after him. The Lord shall command a blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that is set before your hand to do. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee in holy people unto himself, as he has sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be afraid, and, and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of the ground, and in the land which the Lord swore unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give thee rain upon thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thy hand, and thou shalt um, lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath if thou will hearken unto the commandments of the Lord. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day, to the right hand or to the left, or to go to other gods and serve them. This passage reminds us that God has a purpose in seeing a nation built for his glory. A nation who says, as is reflected here, if you will follow my ways, if you will seek my will, if you will follow my word, then you will know what it is to receive the blessings. Even a flood of blessings from God's hand shall be given. He mentions the rain, the field, the houses, the families. He mentions the financial strength of a nation. All of these are things that are important for the cause of a nation to succeed but they're only provided through God's wisdom, through God's blessing, and through God's provision. Is this an attitude of our nation? I submit to you there certainly is a reality reflected on the truth that this was the attitude of our nation. The Declaration of Independence reflects a dependence upon God. And the Constitution is built upon the truth of that Declaration of Independence. The philosophy of the Declaration becomes the policy of the nation. But let's go one step further. 
because we are a United States. Let's talk about how did the states, so vital in the organization of our nation, how did they approach their perspective of God and the things that they saw happening in the generation in which they grew up in? Here in North Carolina, for example, where our state constitution was first drafted in 1776, the preamble reads, quote, we are grateful to Almighty God, the sovereign ruler of nations, for the preservation of the American Union and the existence of our civil, political, and religious liberties, and acknowledging our dependence upon him to the continuance of these blessings to us and our posterity. That's the preamble of the North Carolina Constitution. Do you hear their voice lifting up God Almighty, the sovereign ruler of all nations, it says? Indeed, that generation and those succeeding understood the reality of that. Section 13 of the North Carolina Constitution says in part, all persons have a natural and inalienable right to worship Almighty God according to the dictates of their own conscience, I'll say it right in a moment, and no human authority shall in any case whatever control or interfere with the rights of conscience. They understood the importance of religious liberty. But you know, this attitude was not just found in North Carolina. Allow me a moment to quote just portions of other states' constitutions in their perspective of God. Delaware references the rights of worshiping and serving the Creator. Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania says, We are grateful to Almighty God for the blessings of civil and religious liberty and humbly invoke His guidance. New Jersey, we are grateful to Almighty God for the civil and religious liberty which he has so long permitted us to enjoy. Georgia, we are relying upon the protection and guidance of Almighty God. Connecticut, we acknowledge with gratitude the good providence of God. These states together, Maryland, Rhode Island, Kentucky, Louisiana, Illinois, Alabama, Michigan, and Florida, in one way or another, say we are grateful to Almighty God for our civil, political, economic, and religious liberties. Our friends in South Carolina, we are grateful to God for our liberties. New York and Ohio say we are grateful to Almighty God for our freedom. Maine and Missouri acknowledge the sovereign ruler and supreme ruler of the universe. Do you hear the echo common to all of these statements? That there is a recognition that we are a nation of states that have been endowed and blessed by God Almighty. And that we as a people are righteously called to lift him up, to worship him, and to acknowledge his hand of blessing. It could not be more obvious. And indeed, the writers of the Declaration, that committee of five, that primarily were led by Thomas Jefferson in his wording, but eventually they all constructed what we know today as the American Declaration of Independence. First approved on July 2nd, signed into law on July 4th, and then read publicly in Philadelphia for the first time on July 8th. And after the reading, the Liberty Bell was rung. 
Today it's only something to look at, but in that day it was still being used. The Liberty Bell, which is inscribed with words from Leviticus 25.10, proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. The declaration, of course, familiar in words to us. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Indeed, the Declaration recognizes the importance of acknowledging the place of God in our national identity and in our national history. There's a reality of understanding that there are Bible passages Old Testament and New that reflect the truth of how a nation should follow God. I could refer you to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, 1 Kings chapter 18. These are passages that affirm a nation's righteousness is determined by the policies of how they execute their form of government. What are righteous policies? Policies that are God-honoring, Policies that invoke justice, policies that allow the recognition of the rights that are given by God to human beings. Righteousness. It's a core of what it means to be a nation that follows God. Proverbs 29.2 reminds us, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Who are the righteous? Those in ruling and authoritative positions who have the ability to enact righteous laws and policies. And indeed, when the righteous rule, as the scripture says, the people rejoice. But as the book of Proverbs so frequently does, it gives us the contrast. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. The people complain, the people mumble. Certainly we are experienced in both those statements. Our founding, one of the founding fathers, Noah Webster, reminded the citizens in his day that the scriptures teach that rulers should be men who rule with the fear of God, able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. And he reverenced Exodus chapter 18 Though it is a political document, the Declaration of Independence is nonetheless validated and grounded in the biblical truth. So when you read the Declaration, you will find God mentioned and referenced in four distinct areas. Statements related to God is the legislator of the universe, where the Declaration references the laws of nature and of nature's God. Referencing the Creator, again, who has created all men. He is the supreme judge of the world, and He is the divine providence upon which the document calls upon. Those four recognitions of God become markers and posts that we can firmly ground our national identity in. And like Proverbs, the contrast 
has to be acknowledged. Without a public and official recognition of God, there is no hope of a government that can be successful. Laws will be written with human intent and human priority, but not standards of righteousness. Judges will be appointed with only their experience to draw upon, our previous human experience to draw upon, but no standard of morality or ethics is part of that conversation as is truly measured by the righteousness of the Scriptures. And since our rights come from God, it is important for any government to recognize that they are the keepers of those rights as God has established them for every person. Many would say rights come from man. It is human government that establishes rights. Well, if that were true, then human government has the capacity to remove those rights and to diminish the authority of the people. Focusing and concentrating the authority upon one or a small group, and there are certainly examples of that in the world today, those types of governments, those types of attitudes never give human capacity its fullest potential because we're always looking to keep people down and never lift people up. Our founders had no such intent. The founders understood that government only exercises its authority righteously when God is recognized as the source of those rights. They also understood that it, it was uh, that if we became complacent in our recognition of God, if we came dull to the sense of God's presence, and if we became ignorant to the reality of God's existence, then our government would fail miserably at what it was intending to do. Thomas Jefferson, a name, of course, important to the writing of the Declaration, would be quoted this way. Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed from our only firm, uh, removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God. Mr. Jefferson was simply saying, a government cannot exist righteously if we've removed the recognition of God. He would go on to say that when we remove the recognition of God and the liberties that come with that, that they are not to be violated those rights and recognitions cannot be violated without God's wrath. President George Washington likewise admonished, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. President John Adams, the safety and prosperity of nations ultimately and essentially depends on the protection and the blessings of Almighty God, and the national acknowledgement of this truth is an indispensable duty which the people owe to him. I think Adams had it right. Would it be that such an attitude could be revived in our nation today? Would it be that such a recognition of God Almighty from the pulpits 
of our churches, to the courthouse, to the legislation, to the White House, that all through our government and its structures, there might be an opportunity again to recognize the truth of God's blessings and God's providence in our nation and in its history. Samuel Adams reminded Americans, may every citizen have a proper sense of God upon his mind and an impression of the declaration recorded in the Bible. He quotes a verse then from, second, uh, from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Adams quoted the verse that says, Him that honors me, the Lord is speaking, Him that honors me, I will honor. But he that despises me shall be lightly esteemed. Samuel Adams had a perspective of recognition that is a call of our American landscape to recognize and to honor God. To do anything less would bring about God's lightly esteeming our nation. Do you see why I can say now, as we look at this, that as we think about the Declaration of Independence, as we think about the recognition of what it did for our nation in birthing our land, it really is a recognition that the Declaration of Independence is grounded in a declaration of dependence. A declaration of dependence upon God. The American forefathers were not so foolish as to think they could establish a nation without the providential, powerful, and leading hand of God. Quite to the contrary, even Ben Franklin recognized that God who sees a sparrow fall will not be absent in the building or the birthing of a nation. Our Declaration of Independence has built into it a declaration of dependence, and we need to recognize it. To ignore it without that dependence, what are we left with? Chaos, confusion, catastrophe. That's what lies ahead. I think we're seeing some evidence of that, sad to say, on American soil today. And we're reminded that the enemies of our freedom, the enemies of our liberty, are not just those on foreign soil. And to recognize God's place in our nation and in its history is an important distinction of how we echo exactly what the Founding Fathers intended. Therefore, maintaining that dependence is the only viable option. We hear it quoted much, many times, I'm afraid, out of context, but I think well in this context. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are things I believe the founders demonstrated by their words and by their actions that were relevant upon a dependence upon God. Our nation cannot succeed if left to its own vices. And that's much of the path that we have found ourselves in today. What does that leave us to do? What does that leave us to accomplish? What challenge are we faced with? I'd like to close the day with a somewhat lengthy 
so forgive me, but a somewhat lengthy quote by a minister of the generation of the founding fathers. This is Minister Samuel Miller. This was his Independence Day sermon given in New York in 1793. He was of that generation. He knew some of the challenges. And I think his words today, 200 plus years later, ring very true. Listen to again the words of Samuel Miller in his Independence Day sermon that he concluded with in 1793. To each of you then, my fellow citizens, on this anniversary of our independence, do you wish to stand fast in the liberty wherewith the governor, capital G, the governor, of the universe has made you free? Do you to desire the increasing prosperity of your country? Do you wish to see the law respected, good order preserved, and uh, universal peace to prevail? Are you convinced that purity of morals is necessary for, the, for this important purpose? Do you believe that the Christian faith is the finest basis of morality? Fix its credit. Interesting way to say, recognize the obvious. Then by applying it to yourselves and spread its glory by the luster of your example. The challenge for us, let me step aside from the quote for a moment. The challenge for us is to do exactly what the reverend here says. We are the examples. Let it begin with us. Let our Christian faith show to others. Let me continue the quote. And while you tell to your children and to your children's children the wonderful works of the Lord and the great deliverance with which he has brought, out, uh, brought us for, teach them to remember the author of these blessings. Again, author in capital A, recognizing God. Teach them to remember the author of these blessings. And they will know how to estimate their value. Teach them to acknowledge the God of heaven as their king. And they will despise submission to earthly despots. We would say today to earthly tyrants. Teach them to be Christians. And they will ever be free. That's the challenge to us today. The call of the gospel, echo, gospel echoes across our land from pulpits, from evangelists, at camp meetings. Wherever the gospel is spread, it is a reality to recognize the author of freedom is God himself. The author of freedom who has made us free from sin through Christ. The author who has given us truth in his word. And the author who has given us principles that we can live by individually and as a nation. So on this, our Independence Weekend, let us recognize again that while we think about the Declaration of Independence, may we never again think about it without remembering the Declaration of Dependence that is put in its words and reflecting the reality of God. We have these recognitions of God in our culture, in our nation, in God we trust, one nation under God. But let them be more than just words that roll off our tongue, are imprinted on our currency, are posted on a sign. 
Let it truly be the attitude of our heart. Where do you stand? You can't be an example of a Christian if you're not a Christian. Where do you stand before God? Where do you stand before Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave himself on the cross to die for your sins? If you do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, it's as easy as a prayer. A prayer of repentance. A prayer of forgiveness. A prayer of recognition of what Christ has done in providing for us a salvation so rich and free. And that freedom is truly the freedom that exceeds any earthly political freedom. It's a freedom from sin. It's a freedom from eternity apart from God. And it's a freedom from the capacity to be pulled away, confused, lured into a life of sin and an eternity apart from God. I trust today you know that freedom and all the joy that goes with it in serving Christ. A declaration of dependence is necessary in all of our lives, for indeed we all depend upon Christ our Savior. Let's close there. A word of prayer just for our nation, and then we'll look at some announcements and other prayer requests. Father, indeed today we are thankful for the generation of individuals who were the founders of this land. They did not come to their place in life individually or alone. Generations preceded them, which helped to lay that foundation of truth and of the importance of recognizing you in our individual and personal and family lives, as well as our national life. Thank you for those generations. Thank you for the, for the opportunity to stand again and celebrate our national independence and we recognize we were not founded as a perfect nation, nor are we today a perfect nation. But we do ask that you will allow us to take these principles and to strive for them more vigorously than ever before, that we as a nation may honor you and that we may know your blessings. And I pray that you will continue to guide and direct and lead our nation. We pray for your leadership, for our president, and for the uh, legislation. Uh, the legislators and those who are in charge of the laws of this land, for the judges, may righteousness prevail in those acts of policy, and may your providence be the evident expression of truth given in the halls and in the areas of legal and justice as is given out to our land. May you be honored. And we pray that you'll bless this nation. In Christ's name, amen.